0: Good morning as Ryan said my name is Doug Hill I'm a ruling elder here at Grace if you don't know me I am NOT Ryan Baker he's taller and better looking than I am but as far as I know he doesn't have any Hawaiian shirts so (laughs) there's that we're gonna do something a little bit different this morning Uh, I'm gonna take my model for the sermon Uh, Stephen's sermon or defense before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7 which was kinda like a history lesson with application uh, to his audience as he went along so we're gonna have a history lesson with lessons as we go along and the histories I'm gonna take are the histories of Ezra Nehemiah and the two prophets Haggai and Zechariah and again I'm gonna draw applications from their experience now let me quickly say what I'm gonna preach this morning is not prophetic and what I mean by that is you can't, in the Bible, you can't like, let's see, they're, they're in a building project, so if we follow their experience exactly, then we'll get their blessing. Uh, that's not a good interpretive rule, uh, biblically speaking. It's not like, let's see, what could we follow? Oh, I know. The early disciples, they put 120 of them. They got 120 of them together, and they got in the upper room, and they prayed in one accord, and the Holy Spirit came down like tongues of fire. You know what we need to do? We need to get 120. Actually, let's get 150 of us, and let's find some really tall upper rooms. So let's get up in a skyscraper, and we'll pray, and we'll pray hard, we'll pray together, and the Holy Spirit will come like tongues of fire. No, I think the interpretive rule that we're we're uh, going against is an example in the Bible doesn't make a precept, something like that. But I would say this: we can apply that upper room story uh, for ourselves. If a lot of us got together and started praying in one accord, there would be a blessing there from the Holy Spirit, guaranteed. All right, and so that's the spirit we'll go through these books with. Let me give a history lesson of Israel's history up until now. Um, as you know, Moses uh, brought the people out of Egypt. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. They learned God's character, as Shane said, through the law. They brought them into the pro- he, or Joshua brought them into the Promised Land. And there they started with a group of judges and some were better than others. Uh there were enemies around and then they started having kings and some were better than others. But by the end of the kingdom period, uh most of the kings were bad and God had warned them through the prophets that with their idolatry and with their sinfulness he was going to send them into Assyria and then Babylon, which he did for 70 years. But there was this prophecy from Jeremiah that said after 70 years You're going to come back, my people, you're going to come back into the land of Israel and rebuild a temple for me. And so that's what I want to talk about today, this this building project that we find in Ezra and Nehemiah and the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. Uh, Open your Bibles if you want to to Ezra chapter 1. That's where our reading is going to take place, verses 1 through 4. And let me just explain for those of you who are new the reading of the word Uh, We consider the reading of the word that we're going to do in just a second a part of Christian worship. We consider this actually really important. Um, And so I'm going to read a passage and I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord. And this isn't like an empty ritual or some formula that we do. But the preacher is actually reminding us that God has written down his thoughts and his will in a book. And we have that book and we're reading from it. And after that, you're going to say, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and you're going to say, thanks be to God. And in your minds, you should truly be thanking him that we have a sure word to live and die by, okay? So let's do that. The text again, Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And if you'll stand for this reading. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem which is in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord the God of Israel he is the God who is in Jerusalem and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold with goods and with beasts besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem this is the word of the Lord you may be seated And before I start, let's pray together. Please bow your heads with me. Father, I think about these Israelites, uh, which in some sense are our brothers and sisters of old and how they must have been feeling like they were in a dream that after 70 years of being chastised for their sins, you were going to bring them back into their land, back to their old homes. And they must have uh, just thought, we can't believe God has been so good to us. Father, we uh, likewise, in a way, we're in a building project, and a lot of us are really excited about it. And, you know, we've been waiting for quite a while. And so we pray that you would have mercy upon us, that you would uh, not only encourage us at this time, but teach us. And we pray this for your glory through Jesus, our mediator. Amen. <coughs> so they come back into the land. The first thing they do. You'll never guess what they build first. Does anybody know, just right off hand, without having read it? I'm just curious. Is John McConnell here? I figured he would, he would say something. Uh, <laughs> the first thing they built, you know, when, when God did a building project with, with uh, Moses, uh, with David, there were a lot of, like, uh, talented people, men and women, and I think, what, did they not have any architects at this time? Because if I'm going to build a building, I'm going to start with probably the foundation, and then I'm going to build some walls, and I'm going to build, you know, the roof, and then I'm going to build everything inside. That's what I would do. That's not what they did. The first thing they built was the altar of burnt offering. All right, And it took them seven months, but they made the altar of burnt offering. And you say, why? Well, I think for them, they had been in Babylon for idolatry for 70 years. They had to get the sin problem fixed. And so they they built the altar of burnt offering and I can just see the average Israelite saying I can't wait to get to the altar I mean I've got my lamb here I'm gonna bring it I'm gonna hand it to the priest I'm gonna put my hand on the head of that lamb and I'm gonna say God forgive me of my sins make me repentant and my sins is that we're gonna go on this innocent victim this lamb and then the priest is gonna cut the lamb's throat and the blood's gonna be poured out and in a sense my sins are gonna be forgiven I'm sure they were they were ready for that. Seventy years in captivity. But also it was like, you know, it's a new start. And anytime we have a new start, a fresh beginning, we want we want a clean house, right? So they're cleaning house, they're getting the altar of burnt offering ready. Okay, that's the history. The application for us, and it's very simple but very profound, is that Jesus Christ is our altar. He is our sacrifice. He's our one sacrifice for all sin for all time. And just like for them, it was almost like the temple was built around the altar of burnt offering, so we have to build our church around Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. And I'm preaching to the choir, but you know as we as we go forward in our church, we're gonna learn more about the whole counsel of God. Ryan's preaching through the Ten Commandments. We're gonna learn the character of God and that. We're gonna learn all this stuff that the Bible gives, but we have to keep Jesus Christ and His sacrifice at the center Okay, that's the first lesson. So they build the altar of burnt offering. They're going now. Five months later, they get the foundation built. The foundation of the temple is laid. And I'm sure they think, man, this building stuff is easy. We'll have this done in two years. No problem. What does my wife say? takes longer. costs more. That's her general dictum about life. Something strange happened, though, as they laid the foundation. Um, does anybody know what I'm about to say? Well, They lay the foundation, and the old people, the old men and women who had seen Solomon's temple in all its glory, huge, magnificent. They started crying. Look at this temple. I mean, look how small it's going to be. It's nothing. And they started weeping. But the new people, young people, they were hallelujah. You know, they're excited. Look at this thing. This is great. And because I'm stupid and there's lots of young kids here, I'm going to try to make the sound of weeping and yelling at the same time. Let's try this. If I was in high, in my class, I'd have this side be weepers and this side be hallelujah people. But, Huh? Okay, you guys are going to weep. All right? I want to hear some wailing, all right? Especially you women, all right? Wailing, all right? I want to hear, wait, not, not yet, not yet. Because it has to be at the same time, it has to be confused sounding, because that's what it was like. All right, you guys are, are my hallelujah people. Come on, uh, college people. Throw your emotions out there. You got nothing to lose. All right. So you guys are, yeah, and hallelujah, and which side? I better be over. I'll be a weeping person. All right. Okay. So are we ready? I'm going to go one, two, three. Ryan's so silly. He made me do this. I was going to do it myself, but okay. Are we ready? (laughs) You ready? You guys ready? All right. One, two, three, then boom. All right. That wasn't the actual count, but that was good. All right. All right. We shan't recover from this. All right. So they got the the altar built. They got the foundation laid. Oh, by the way, the application for that is, I didn't bring that up just to be stupid, um, is as we go forward in our building project, there may be some people, especially people who have been here a long time, who may look back fondly at the way our church used to be and think, you know when we were in, what was it? What was the Best Western? I wasn't even here when you guys were in Best Western. Yeah, we're Best Western. We were so small, but we were so close, and it was it was it was kind of a hassle to put things together. But man, it was kind of a sweet time, you know. Uh, and when we remember things in nostalgia, we often forget about the bad things, but we we remember the good things. Or remember when we were in Westwood? We we're in this stupid. I mean, it's not stupid, but you know what I mean. It's gymnasium, and it sounds terrible, and ah, you know, but there's something sweet about that. I wish, I almost wish we could go back there. You know, I get it, but we need to move on forward, you know, and I don't think this is a problem. I think all of us are ready to move on. So, anyway. Okay, back to the history. So, they, they finished the temple and the city walls in six months and lived happily ever after. No. Not at all. That's not the way life is. It's not the way human nature is. You're not going to believe this, but for 16 years they did nothing. 16 years and every year a year they did nothing. They stopped. What? Why? I'm a high school English teacher. My first thought is laziness lack of grit, persistence, perseverance. That's my first thought. The the text doesn't say that. Maybe there was some of that in there. Uh, Maybe they lack strong leadership. The text doesn't say that, but that could have been. As we said in our opening song, the men who hold high places must be the ones who start to mold a new reality closer to the heart. One thing we know that happened during the 16-year period was they had a lot of enemies around them. nebuchadnezzar sent the israelites into babylon he kept certain people here and they became what we know in the new testament as the samaritans alright and so they were there the whole time and i'm sure it was odd when they came back thomas can tell us about this but when they came back into the land and they wanted their old land back and you got these people who kind of owned the land for the last seventy years so there was some strife at the start and then to further mix things up these samaritans as soon as they started building they said oh yeah yeah we worship the same god as you do let let us help you and the Israelites being wise wise as serpents was probably a good idea said uh... nah we'll do it on our own uh... you know cyrus has given us the decree to do this we'll just we don't really need your help probably wise but the samaritans started physically persecuting them later on they even tear down the walls and burn the city gates with fire they sent all kinds of letters to the Persian king saying these are bad people and so there were enemies and so some people were just fearful of actually building even though they had God's promise and God's spirit among them Um, yeah another thing that I know is true is because it's in uh, Haggai chapter 1 is some people were just pursuing the American dream you know what you didn't know American dream was around in 500 BC did you so they build the altar they build the foundation they started getting into a little bit of trouble and they thought, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm just going to kind of build my own house instead of God's house. I'm going to kind of set up my own kingdom, you know, because you have to care for your family and not worry so much about God's kingdom. It says in Haggai chapter 1, God tells the people, is it time for you to dwell in your pitched roof houses while my house lies in ruins? Consider your ways. Consider how even now you've sown much seed, but harvested little. You're putting your money in a bag with holes. Because God had sent a drought to them, because they wouldn't uh, build his house as he had told them to. And I want to make an application here, and that is this. Right now is the time for you and for me, for everyone to throw yourself into the life of our church. Ephesians 4.16 says, The body is strong when all the tendons, nerves, muscles, organs are fed from the head and then are working properly together. That's when we're strong. As the Closer to the Heart song says, The blacksmith and the artist reflected in their art, they forge their creativity closer to the heart. Philosophers and plowmen each must know his part to sow a new mentality closer to the heart. You can be the captain. And I'll draw the chart, sailing into destiny, closer to the heart. There comes a time, I think, in every Christian's life, or at least every, for every Christian when you join a new church, there comes a time when you have to decide, am I going to jump in, or am I just going to kind of use the church for what I want and just kind of stay a passive onlooker, you know, on the side? And, I mean, I've been there. You know, you go home. It's like, I don't really belong. And you start criticizing, like, Ryan's sermons. I'll tell you what's wrong with that. This, this, this. It's like, uh, I don't know what we do. We don't do enough outreach in this church. The music, I don't know what's going on there. You know, you just start, go, you just start going down the line, you know. And you're kind of like, you're not in the boat rowing, you know. We need everybody in the boat rowing at this time. We are, I mean, look around you. We are actually one body and we're all members of each other. And if, you know, it, does, it seems pretty harmless just to be like gossiping and backbiting and, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, we'll devour each other. It doesn't seem like it hurts much, but it does. Right? We are brothers and sisters, these people uh, right next to you. So we have to jump in. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, he uses the illustration of the body. And he points out two kinds of people that don't jump in. The first one is the um, the person who thinks, I am the I. I am the all-seeing I. I'm the most important member of this body, and I don't know why everyone doesn't recognize it. I don't need you, hand. I don't need you, foot. I don't need anything. I am the all-seeing I. And in his pride, the problem with that is, that person never gets used in the church because I, I shouldn't say this Ryan but most of the things that need to be done in the church really all the things that need to be done in the church are things that children can do we need people to pray a child can do that we need people to have someone over for dinner anyone can pull that up. we need people to set up chairs it's almost everything that's done in the church anyone can do it alright but the I is above that. He's not going to do that. And so he sits on the sidelines uh, and you know complains that he's not used enough. The other person that Paul points out, the same sin of pride by the way, is the person who thinks they're the foot. I am the lowly foot. I am, what is it, lowly worm. Uh, I'm not the hand. I'm not the eye. I'm just a foot. And I really, I really want to be used in a great way, and because because I, I I'm not that good, I'm just not going to do anything. What? Yeah. So we don't want to be the eye or the foot. Okay, back to the history of Israel. So we said they do nothing for 16 years, and, and that's true, but they start again through the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah. And by the way, leaders are really important. So they come in and they encourage the people. And they start to work. You know what the first thing these prophets say to them? You're sinful. What? You always notice how God does things like way different than we would do. I would think he'd come in and just encourage the Crap out, I'm sorry. But just really encourage them. No, he reveals their sins to them. Haggai chapter 2. God tells Haggai about Israel. Every work of their hands is unclean. Zechariah sees a huge flying scroll with sins written on both sides the application for us is even though that we're at the start of a building project and we're excited if god is favorable to us the holy spirit will start revealing sin to us and i don't know if any of you i mean i can see it in the elders already and some some other people i've noticed but it's like we're kind of tightening our spiritual belts you know because we're getting ready to go into something new that we really need god's help for. And if, again, if God is, is uh, kind to us, he'll begin to, through the Holy Spirit, he'll do what the Holy Spirit was sent into the world to do to convince us of our sins. That's a good thing, that God doesn't let us just go off and do our own thing, but stops us as a good father. Okay, so they're back to the history here. So they've, they, they've sinned, and now they have to repent. The next thing God does is he encourages his people that by his Spirit, He would be with them as they built I don't know and maybe 16 years before this maybe they weren't trusting enough you know and that's why they stopped I don't know but he encourages them that I will be with you by my spirit this sounds so cliched but listen to Haggai chapter 2 verse 5 be strong all you people of the land declares the Lord work for I am with you declares the Lord of hosts my spirit remains in your midst or not there was a a governor uh, at at this time called Zerubbabel and I'm sure he's thinking with all these enemies around him I'm sure he's thinking and praying Lord what I really need is a militia I mean could you raise up a militia please because I need some help to fight off these enemies and so what does God do he shows him a vision through Zechariah of a complicated candlestick how's that going to help I got real problems here (laughs) and it's like this menorah that receives oil directly from trees without any human effort and he tells Zerubbabel you're gonna overcome Zerubbabel not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts who are you O great mountain all you enemies before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain And Zerubbabel shall finish the building, and when he puts the last stone on it, the people will be shouting, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. That's good. So this is the promise of the Spirit in the midst of building. We see it again in the elders. Later on, Nehemiah comes uh, and helps rebuild the wall. Listen to this leader pray. And by the way, he's been praying for four months like this before he ever goes and talks to the king, Artaxerxes. I, I can't read this whole... He just goes on and on. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Ezra does the same thing. He intercedes for the people. He takes responsibility for their sins, includes himself in it because he was also a sinner, and prays for God's mercy to come. So when Nehemiah goes before the king to actually get ready to go to Israel, the king looks at him and says, why are, you sh- why are you sad, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah, I'm sure he's a little afraid, let the king live forever. Why shouldn't I be sad when my city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And Artaxerxes is more or less, what do you want to do? And Nehemiah, he, before he says anything, the text kind of has a, um, a parenthesis, and it says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, this is a, ma- a spiritual man who's praying in the middle of the conversation, and he had been praying hard for four months already. And the application for us is, again, this may sound cliche, I hope it doesn't, is that we have to, at this time especially, depend on the Holy Spirit in prayer. We need to pray. We need to learn to pray together and we need to uh, depend on it. Part of the re- problem is we are a very capable people. We're fairly educated, We have decent jobs, we're sharp. Do we really need God? Really? I mean we could we could pull this off, right? Or a better way to ask it, biblically, does God show up where he's not needed? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, Ryan gave Eddie a book, and Eddie gave me a book called The Dynamics of Spiritual Life. It's really good, a 70s book by Richard Lovelace. Listen to this about the lack of prayer and dependence on the Holy Spirit. The proportion of horizontal communication that goes on in church in planning, arguing, and expounding Is overwhelmingly greater than that which is vertical in worship Thanksgiving confession and intercession critically important committee meetings are begun and ended with formulaic prayers which are ritual obligations and not genuine expressions of dependence when problems and arguments ensue they're seldom resolved by further prayer but are wrangled out on the battlefield of human discourse ouch so we plan and argue, re-plan, we re-argue, and we ask God to bless it. By the way, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be wise and sharp. I'm just saying we have to depend on God. Here's, uh, I like this quote from the movie A Man for All Seasons. This is a late 80, the late 80s version with Charlton Heston, not the early 60s version. Uh, this is uh, The character in that movie is Sir Thomas More, the English lawyer and counselor to Henry VIII. And he's talking to his daughter, and he says, Listen, Meg. God made the angels to show him splendor, as he made animals for innocence and plants for their simplicity. But man, he made to serve him wittily in the tangle of his mind. Spoken like a lawyer. And I, but I think we get into that. You know, We think we can fi- if we just get the right people who are sharp enough, we can figure all this out. And my question is, how do we plan for a building how do we work on a building with dependence on God how do we do that I think the first thing is to confess our ignorance and our inability to do something well for God without his help another quote from this loveless the minimal prayer accompanying many projects in the church may indicate that what is being undertaken is simply what humans can accomplish pretty well by themselves Those who do the work seem fully confident that they can produce good results simply by their talent, expertise, and effort. The weakness here lies in the failure to comprehend the transforming role the Holy Spirit plays in every redemptive enterprise. Ouch again, Mr. Lovelace. So we can plan um, paradigms or a dime a dozen. But we need to learn how to watch in prayer. Watch in prayer? Who's got time for that? To wait in prayer? Just to wait on God? Something that's kind of foreign to us. We need to be like Nehemiah's people. They would hold their weapon, I'm sorry, they would hold their tool that they were working on the wall with in one hand, and they had their weapon in the other hand. We need the weapon of prayer as we work uh, during this time. We need to even depend on the Holy Spirit right now while we're figuring things out. Even like the building building committee needs to, and I'm sure they are, but they they need to depend on the Holy Spirit. Uh, David in 1 Chronicles 28 testified that he had the plans, the plans for the entire first temple by the Spirit of God, or as he says later, by the hand of God upon him. Just like Moses was shown in the mount, all the details of the tabernacle. Now, am I saying that if we pray, God's going to show us how to nail a two by four up? No, but I'm saying we have to, we have to, to have that attitude though that God show us how does this work. I don't know. I listen to my prayers. My prayers are underwhelming, like really underwhelming. It's, I sound like a child, you know, when I when I pray, and it's like half my heart's in it. It's like, how's how's that helping anything? Well, I I was encouraged by uh, Philippians 1.19. This is a really good prayer nugget. Listen to this. And I agree with, where's Mark? I agree with Mark that, um, you know, in one sense, prayer does nothing. God is going to rule the world, and his plans are going to come to pass regardless if we pray or not. But as Shane said, God uses our prayers as means to his ends. So in one sense, prayer does change things. Listen to, this is one of the second ones, Philippians 1.19 paul is talking to the philippians and he says i'm going to be delivered through your prayers and the supply of the spirit now to us it sounds like two different things i'm going to be delivered by your prayers which is amazing and also the spirit is going to supply my heart here and encourage me as you're praying but the, the way the greek is constructed it's actually one thing that when you pray god uses that to do things to deliver but also, it sends a supply of the Spirit to the person you're praying for. Now, that's incredible. That encourages me to pray. So, when I pray for my wife, uh, Lord, this is how I pray. Lord, strengthen my wife. Yeah, like that. Now, I think, okay, what good does that do? You think, that is stupid. And I barely even put my heart into it yet I trust through the scripture that God is actually sending a supply a fresh supply of the Spirit to her you guys probably all believe this anyway but uh, it's, it's incredible so prayer uh, helps one last thing and then we're done um, and this is just an application the foundational reason that we need to be building and I'm sure you know this is for God's glory again another uh, could be a cliche I love this childlike verse in Haggai 1.8. Listen to this. God tells the people, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. Don't you love that? That's like a four-year-old could have written that. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. We can actually give God glory through this building. All right, so what have I said? Overall, God can do amazing things, but we have to truly depend on Him in prayer. We have to be repentant as the Holy Spirit shows us our sin. We have to be patient. We have to work hard and work together for God's glory. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, as uh, Ryan said a few weeks ago, it would be insane for us to try to think about things and work uh, on things by ourselves. It would be insane to think that we could build a new church in a way that brings you you glory, but to do it without your help. So we pray for that help. We pray that you would show us our sins during the next several months and give us grace to repent. Father, we look forward to seeing you working. We want to see Aslan on the move. We want to get out of the way. Uh, So we pray that you would work. Show us great things. We pray for these things in Jesus' name, amen.